0: Hey guys, welcome to the new podcast, A Girl's Best Friend. I'm your host, Monica Teske. This podcast is a part of the GOAT Podcast Network. Now, why did I name my podcast A Girl's Best Friend, you may ask? Because diamonds are a girl's best friend, and we're going to talk about the diamond sport of softball on this podcast. I apologize in advance today because today's episode is going to be a little SEC heavy. I'll try to be more even in my coverage of different conferences going forward on the podcast, but I have been watching the SEC softball tournament today, and it left me with a lot of things to think about and a lot of things that I wanted to discuss in today's episode. The first thing that kind of came to mind was South Carolina and their crazy win over Auburn. Now, South Carolina was picked to finish dead last in the SEC in the preseason's coaches poll and they finished tenth in the conference and have already defeated seven seed Texas A and M one to nothing in eight innings, then two seed Georgia two to one in eight innings, and then today they beat three seed Auburn three to two in the first game of the tournament for South Carolina that didn't go into extras. I had the game on, but I was kind of doing some other things while while watching it, so I only had. Like one eye on it. But I started watching really intently in the top of the seventh. South Carolina had two outs, and Shelby Lowe was pitching for Auburn. And we can get into a big discussion on whether or not Mickey Dean should have put in Maddie Penta for the seventh, but I'm not going to go there in today's episode. South Carolina was down by one run, if I remember correctly, even was down to their final strike. The Jordan Fabian of all players, hit a two-run bomb for South Carolina, and South Carolina took the lead. The announcers were stunned, but I can honestly say I expected it. Now, Jordan Fabian for the season has been about a 200 hitter, but South Carolina has shown extreme resiliency during this tournament and during this entire season. They were picked to finish last in the SEC, but here they are going into the championship of the SEC tournament against the number one seed, Tennessee. If anyone told me at the beginning of the season that South Carolina was gonna be the ten seed in the tournament, let alone playing for the tournament title, I can't say I would've believed them. Well, South Carolina has been able to accomplish this season has been impressive. Pitching has historically been an issue for South Carolina. It's not that they haven't had good pitchers play for them, but for instance, Uh, A couple years ago, Kelsey O dealt with some pretty major injuries over her South Carolina career. Now, when you play softball in the SEC, you've got to have a good pitching staff, and just South Carolina hasn't had the pitching staff to compete in a long time. Also, South Carolina hasn't really been hitting the ball all that well. This sounds crazy considering the fact that they're going to the tournament championship, but their team batting average is .261. This season, which is next to last in the SEC. Just for comparison, so you kind of get an idea of what's going on here. Oklahoma has the best batting average in all of college softball. And their team batting average is 368, which is 107 points higher than South Carolina's team batting average. Now, the Gamecocks haven't been getting a ton of hits. But... They're working walks and using tiling hitting to bring them around. To demonstrate this, South Carolina's on-base percentage this season is 376, which is good for 7th in the SEC. Now, for those who don't, may not know what on-base percentage is, on-base percentage measures how often batters get on base, whether by base on balls like walks or hit-by-pitch or hit. Now, whenever batting average the base on balls like the walks and the hit by pitches aren't, aren't counted in that batting average number. So those, uh, those trips on base are captured in the on-base percentage. So this discrepancy in South Carolina's batting average and their on-base percentage shows us that while they're not the best at getting hits, they're much better at drawing walks and getting their players on base that way. When Jordan Fabian hit her home run, that was only the second hit of the day for the South Carolina team. You want to tell them that's crazy? They finished the game with three runs and three hits. That is wild to me. They didn't need that many hits to win the game. Three runs and three hits. That is crazy. You can't win games without pitching, though, and South Carolina's pitching has been outstanding. And not just in this tournament, but also in the entire season. I don't think anyone expected Donnie Gobern and Leah Powell and Bailey Bettenbaugh and Jory Hurd to be one of the better pitching staffs in the SEC this year. To be perfectly honest, I never even heard of Donnie Goburn or Jory Hurd before this season. Last year, this... Ex- This exact same South Carolina team had Leah Powell and Bailey Bettenbaugh on their roster, but they were the only SEC team to miss the NCAA tournament. South Carolina has turned it around in amazing fashion this year. And my opinion is that Donnie Goborn is a major part of that. I watched her today and I saw her passion and her fiery competitiveness. Ooh, that's a hard word for me to say. Competitiveness. And I think that really helped fuel her teammates. She was determined that they were not going to lose, and she made her teammates believe. And sure enough, they didn't lose. I remember at one point seeing her go down in the dugout, talking to everybody. She was going to make sure everyone knew they were going to win. Donnie Goborn's stats are also a big reason South Carolina is where they are right now. Her ERA for the season is 2.2, which is the 17th best ERA in the entire SEC. Bailey Bentonbaugh has the second best ERA for the South Carolina team, but hers is just the 31st best in the SEC. Now, Donnie transferred from Florida Atlantic, and looking back kind of towards the preseason, Her transfer may be one of the more underrated transfers of this whole season. I don't remember hearing a word about her transfer at all. It was just like she magically appeared one day on South Carolina's roster, and then all of a sudden she started dominating people immediately. Opponents are batting only 167 against Donnie this season, which is good for eighth in the SEC. Now, I can hear some people arguing with me that Donnie was used in a relief role quite a bit for South Carolina this season, but she did pitch 117 and two-thirds innings for them this season, which is 10th most in the SEC. She has 185 strikeouts, which is good for third. She's only behind Maddie Penta and Montana Fouts, but she is more than 100 strikeouts behind Maddie. Honestly, I had never heard of Donnie Goborn before this season, but I hope so much that she exercises her option to use her COVID year because I love watching her pitch. I love her competitive fire, and I love to watch her build up her teammates. Also, her pitches are downright filthy. She is so much fun to watch. But speaking about pitchers and their stats, let's talk for a second about the SEC Seasoned Awards. They were awarded this week, I believe. Karen Weekly wins Coach of the Year, of course. I think everybody knew that was coming. The preseason expectation was that Tennessee was going to be good, but I don't think anybody thought Tennessee was going to be this good. They won the SEC going away, and I think that people thought it was going to be a little bit more competitive at the top. Maddie Pinta won Pitcher of the Year man, I love Maddie Penta. I love Maddie Penta. I know she's an Auburn Tiger. I don't care. I love Maddie Penta. I remember her freshman year when everyone was raving on and on and on about Shelby Lowe, and rightfully so. Shelby Lowe's a really good pitcher. I just kept saying, people, you've got to pay attention to Maddie Penta. You've I thought she was a better pitcher overall than Shelby Lowe, but people were overlooking Maddie and only talking about Shelby at the time. And then last season, Shelby Lowe got injured, and Maddie Penta showed up and showed out and finally, finally got all the recognition that she deserved. And people finally started paying attention to her. Now, pitcher of the year I think was probably one of the more competitive awards this season cuz I honestly thought Montana Fouts and Ashley Rogers had a pretty good argument as to why they should be pitcher of the year instead of Maddie Pinta. And it's crazy hard to figure out which of those 3 should have won it. I'm okay with Maddie get with Maddie getting it. I, if I was a voter, I honestly don't know where I would have gone with my vote. It would have but I'll just say would have gone to Maddie, Montana or Ashley. So let's look at stats for a second to see if we can figure out if there's any differentiation here between those three. All right, so Ashley Rogers. She led the SEC in ERA and opponents' batting average, but she was 11th in innings pitched and fifth in strikeouts. She was sixth in wins and second in batter struck out looking. So that's that's pretty good. She she led the SEC in ERA and opponents' batting average, but she was 11th in innings pitched, which means Montana and Maddie had more opportunities to get hit by these sec batters also just a note right here i'm going to insert it in in here these season awards are based on conference stats so any stats that are in the non-conference games do not count towards these awards so She's 11th in innings pitched, and Montana, so that means Montana and Maddie both have a lot more opportunities to give up runs and they give up hits to these SEC teams. So I think that's a slight ding in Ashley's column, but overall, incredible. All right, so Montana Fouts. So Montana had two perfect games this season, including one that I actually was able to attend in person against Ole Miss in Oxford. That was a crazy experience. I never thought I would get to experience a perfect game in person, and I did, and it was so cool. I was there a few years ago when Lexi Kilfoyle did a no-hitter against, I believe it was North Carolina, and that was so cool. So now I've seen a no-hitter and a perfect game in person. It's so cool. So Montana leads the SEC in innings pitched and strikeouts and strikeouts looking. She has started the second most games this season, but has the third most losses. Okay. Well, and by the way, I got all of these stats from sec.com. Okay. So here's my problem with the third most losses. Losses aren't always a pitcher problem because your offense may not be supporting the pitcher. For instance, you can give up one run but still get a loss because your offense doesn't score at all and you lose one to nothing. And it's not because the pitcher wasn't good. So while losses, it does come into account here, I don't know how heavily we can weight that against Montana, but Montana is ninth in the SEC in ERA, so that drops her down a little bit. But still very, very solid. Definitely pitcher of the year contender. All right, so now the winner, Maddie Pinta. Maddie started the most games and has the most wins. She has the third most batter struck out looking and the second most strikeouts overall. By the way, Maddie and Montana both have over 100 more strikeouts than the third place uh, strikeout person in the SEC, Donnie Goborn. It is crazy how many strikeouts Maddie and Montana were able to rack up this season. It's just astronomical. Okay, so Maddie is second in innings pitched and third in opponents batting average and fourth in ERA. Okay, so just judging on these stats alone, it's a really close race. And to be honest, I would be happy if any of these pitchers got got the award, but I can definitely see how Maddie got it. It makes sense. She... Doesn't The others have one spot where it kind of jumps out at you that they are lower than the other competitors, but not Maddie. Maddie is in the top five in all of these categories, and it just it makes sense. I, I can get behind it. I can, I can agree, <laughs> especially as you're looking at the stats. I think I can agree Maddie Pinta being the pitcher of the year. But it is a really close race. Carlin Pickens got the Freshman of the Year award, completely expected. I think everyone knew that was coming. And then Skylar Wallace got the SEC Player of the Year. Now, this one, I, when I heard about it, I didn't agree with. But after looking at the stats and remembering that this is a conference play award only, I think I can get behind it. I was rooting really, really hard for Kiki Malloy of Tennessee to win this award. I love watching Kiki, and I was really wanting her to get it. But Skylar Wallace turned it on at the end of the season, and she deserved the award. I was, Skylar got injured, and maybe it was around midseason, season and after, when she came back from that injury, she was a different player. Skyler's in-conference stats were amazing. However, I also, in defense of Kiki Malloy, I think that defense should come into play as well. And that's not going to show up in the stat sheets as easily, especially because Kiki makes some incredible plays that no one else in all of college softball can make. Even professional softball outside of maybe Haley McClenney could make. But those aren't going to show up in the stat sheets because there's no stat for amazing plays. It's just going to be a put out just like all the other regular easy fly balls because she's a center fielder. But Kiki made so many different... She made a difference in so many games with her glove. And I think that... Should count as a huge plus in Kiki's favor now don't get me wrong, Skyler is an incredible defender she's a really, really good shortstop, but i don't I don't remember her making nearly as many amazing spectacular sports center top ten type plays like Kiki has this season and man I just i can't stop watching Kiki Malloy I mean. Wow, she's an amazing, amazing player, and I hope she gets a lot of consideration for National Player of the Year. And although this has no effect on the SEC Season Awards, I kind of wanted to put this in here. Kiki Malloy has 23 home runs a season, which I can't remember if it's a tie or puts her just in the lead in the national home run race. And I guess my biggest issue with why I prefer Kiki over Skyler for the conference play of the year is because I'm having a hard time turning a blind eye to what happened out of conference. Because when you factor that part in, Kiki is better than Skyler, but if you're going based on conference play alone, it makes sense that Skyler is player of the year. Also, kind of crazy little tidbit that I noticed this afternoon This is the second season in a row that the SEC Player of the Year was a transfer from Alabama. Last year, it was KB Sides. She transferred to Arkansas from Alabama, and this year, it's Skylar Wallace who transferred to Florida from Alabama. Speaking of Alabama, their run in the SEC tournament ended tonight with a 7-6 loss to Tennessee. Even though Alabama lost, I've got to say I'm so proud of this team and their resiliency. The mindset with so many fans or so many so-called fans of Alabama athletics is that we always have national championship aspirations. And the fans have let that be known. And just to see how the team has overcome a negative fan base along with everything else that's been going on has just been amazing to watch. But to those fans, here's the thing. Only one team can win the national championship each year, and it is completely unrealistic to expect that your team is going to be the one team to win it each and every year. And if they don't, then they failed as a team. Well, guess what? There's, I don't even remember how many college softball teams there are. There's over 100. So are you telling me that over 100 teams fail every year because they aren't the national championship, that's ridiculous. I expect that the team probably wanted to finish higher in the SEC than fifth, and they wanted to be in the running for a top eight seat when the selection show happens on Sunday night. Now, the top eight seats is probably not going to happen. That's fine. But we can't just go thinking that this is a national championship consen- contender team. Right now, at least in my opinion... There's maybe five or six teams that can beat Oklahoma on any given day. But to win the national championship, you have to win a best-of-three series. And there may, there might be two, maybe three teams in the whole nation that I think could compete with Oklahoma in a three-game series. Oklahoma is the odds-on favorite to win the title again for the third year in a row, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that Alabama's season is a failure. This is the 27th year of Alabama softball, and Alabama has only won one national championship, but is still considered to be one of the best teams in college softball historically. Do you remember that one championship? That was 2012. I remember that series dancing in the rain against Oklahoma. It was was crazy. However, before people get on to me for being way too negative, I'm not saying that Alabama can't catch fire during the tournament and go on a crazy run and make it to the National Championship Series and win it all. Crazier things have happened. For instance, just going back to last year, Remember when Mississippi State made it to the Super Regionals after sweeping the two the number two overall seed, Florida State, on Elimination Sunday in Tallahassee? They weren't even in Starkville. They were in Tallahassee. Mississippi State was, I don't remember if they were 11 seed or 12 seed in the SEC last year, and they still ended up beating the number two overall seed in the nation and hosting a Super Regional for the first time in school history. What about Texas? What about Arizona? I don't know of a single person that expected Texas or Arizona to make it out of regionals, let alone Super Regionals, and make it to Oklahoma City. Texas ended up playing for the national championship last year. But man... Alabama's resiliency, though. Let's get back to that. Montana Fouts has been the heart and soul of this Alabama team for her entire career, and she got hurt last night in the game against Arkansas. It looked like maybe it was a lower leg or an ankle issue, and she tried to will herself to stay in the game, but she was taken out and replaced by Alex Salter. It was heartbreaking to watch. It just tore me up, ripped my heart out to watch her try to do whatever it would take to stay in, but I think Coach Murphy made the right call in taking her out. I listened to Bailey Dowling's interview after the game, and when Bailey was asked about her game-winning hit, she said something to the effect of, I did it for Montana. Even in what could have been such a massive, devastating blow to the team, when the superstar heart and soul of the team went out with an injury, They instead fought to the end and beat such a good Arkansas team. Such an amazing Arkansas team. Now, can you imagine being Alex Salter last night? Arguably the best pitcher in Alabama history. And if not the best, she's definitely top two or three. Just went out with an injury and Alex was the one called in to pitch. At that point, no one knew the extent of the injury And to be honest, at the time of this recording, we still don't know the extent of the injury. So worst case scenario, Montana may never pitch again at the collegiate level. And Alex was the one called on to replace her. That was so much on Salter's shoulders. But she came in, she did what she needed to do. And the offense did did what it needed to do. And Alabama was able to pull it out. That was amazing. So cool to watch. I loved it. This team has been amazing to watch this season. And no matter how the season ends, I just feel grateful for the opportunity to be able to watch them play this year. It's been so amazing. Now, for the latest update that I know on Montana Fouts, is Coach Murphy said that since he pitched her back-to-back, He was not planning on pitching her again for the rest of the tournament. So Alex Salter, Jayla Torrance, and Lauren Espin all pitched tonight against Tennessee, and that was the way it was going to be all along. And then if we won tonight against Tennessee, they were also all three going to pitch tomorrow against South Carolina. But now we just rest up and wait. And we find out what happened. Softball is notoriously silent about injuries. So we will probably not hear anything about Montana until we see if she's in a lineup or not. So don't expect me hearing anything on that. Now, I'm not unrealistic. I don't have national championship expectations for Alabama this season. I honestly just hope Montana's okay and that we're able to help her end her career in the best way we possibly can. If the team gives it their all and we end in regionals, I'm fine with that. If the team gives it their all and we end in supers, that's fine. If the team gives it their all and that means we end up in Oklahoma City, that would be a best case scenario. I would love that. But I just want to help Montana end her career in the best way possible. She has done so much for the team, for the school, and just for the sport of softball in general. And she deserves only the best in what is, unfortunately, going to be the final season of her college career. (laughs) Now I need to stop talking about Montana and the end of her career before I get too emotional. But... Just a little side note, Montana has been offered spots in two different professional softball leagues so far, so this is not the end of Montana's softball career as a whole. She will have more opportunities to play in professional leagues and on a world level because she is on the national team, and I'm so excited to see her develop and grow even more as a pitcher, but don't take players like Montana for for granted. Players like her don't come around that often, so be sure to soak it up and enjoy every opportunity to watch Montana and others like her play while you can. It's probably time I go ahead and wrap up this very SEC-heavy episode. Going forward, I want to be more balanced with how I cover the sport, but I just had a lot of SEC things on my mind today, so I wanted to get all of that out there in this episode. Going forward, my plans for the podcast are to cover the tournament selection show that is occurring on Sunday night. I will not be able to watch that live, but I'm planning to record an episode on Monday discussing the seedings and where teams are going and then give my thoughts on who will be making it to the Supers. Once we get to Supers, I will cover those matchups and give my World Series picks. I will probably do one more episode after the World Series is over, just summing up the season and giving my thoughts and opinions on the World Series, and then I will take a break on this podcast until February when the new season begins. Now, this is a new podcast. If you have any questions, complaints, suggestions on ways I can improve the podcast, please email at goat at gmail.com. That's G-O-A-T-V-S-G-O-T-E at gmail.com. And please put the show title, A Girl's Best Friend, in the subject line so that I can know that your email is regarding this show in particular. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.